Well, uh, hopefully you are enjoying your morning with family and friends and loved ones. Um, I know growing up, we, uh, uh, well, everyone I talk to has traditions that you usually do on Christmas morning. I remember as a kid, we would always run down the stairs. The presents are under the tree. Uh, we would always have cinnamon buns on Christmas morning. That was just what you did, right? It's, I think it's in the Bible. Um, and then uh, my dad would always gather, around, uh, gather the kids around and we would read the Christmas story uh, before we opened presents, before we did uh, kind of anything else. And I actually, uh, looking back, I mean, when I was a kid, I did not appreciate that because I was like, presents! But looking back now, I, I actually appreciate that even in the, the midst of other good things, there's nothing wrong with you know, presents and breakfast and all the things that we do. But I appreciated that even in the midst of that, it was like, well, let's actually take time to um, remind ourselves what this day means. What are we actually celebrating? Um, so if you've been joining us over this Advent season, um, you'll know that our, our theme for this Christmas uh, has been a simple Christmas. And what we've been doing is looking at the humble birth of Jesus and kind of... Uh, Taking away uh, the overcomplicated nature of Christmas for some people, right? We, we, I think we unnecessarily overcomplicate things. And just kind of going to the bare bones, what actually happened at that first Christmas? And we've seen that it's, it's quite humble. And besides the miraculous nature of the virgin conception and birth, um, it's, it's quite normal, I mean, we saw that in uh, our first week in the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1, right? Um, Matthew writes this list of names leading up to Joseph, who was considered Jesus' legal uh, father, not his biological father, but his legal father on earth. And we saw a list of just really broken, messed up people. The list contained, you know, adulterers and murderers and liars and deceivers and and we talked about how that's just kind of like all of our family trees. We all have uh, messed up uh, people, including ourselves, in them. And then in week two, um, we saw uh, Gabriel's pronouncement to Mary. And God goes to this obscure region, Galilee, to an obscure nothing town, Nazareth, to a 13-year-old unwed virgin to announce, hey, you are going to be the one who carries Jesus, the Son of God. You're going to be pregnant and bring Jesus into the world. Um, we, we saw this in uh, God going to uh, uh, or confirming to Joseph, right? God goes and, and in, in a dream through an angel says to Joseph, no, like don't divorce Mary, marry her and name the child Jesus. His name means salvation from Yahweh and, and his name will also be Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, we saw this on Christmas Eve if you joined us for our services the first visitors to the birth of Jesus uh, were shepherds, right? The first visitors to the Savior of the world, the King being born, is probably the lowest of the low if you think about how shepherds were viewed in that day and age. Not, not what you would think. And, and we've talked all throughout this Advent series that this is just God's normal pattern throughout Scripture. We see time and time again God loves to go to 
the, uh, the outcast, the lowly, the weakest in order to bring about his plans. And he does this with uh, Abraham and Sarah. He does this with Jacob. He does this with Joseph. He does this with the nation of Israel, Jonah. Like over and over and over again, God does this. And I think it's so that he is the one who gets all the praise and not any other individual. I mean, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast. In the presence of God. <coughs> Excuse me. God loves to do this. And so it's no different in the nativity stories. There's this simplicity to it that I, I think should shock us a little bit because it's so upside down from the way the, the world works. So to end our Advent series this Christmas morning, um, wanted to just take a few minutes and talk through the simple gospel that we believe in. Um, I think if you think about our world, not only do we unnecessarily complicate Christmas, for instance, but we unnecessarily complicate um, everything, I, I think. There is a certain uh, complexity to things that sometimes I'm like, couldn't this just be simpler? So for instance, my brother-in-law um, loves board games uh, he's one of those people that just, I mean, just every type of board game you could think of. And oftentimes when we lived closer to them, they, he would buy a new uh, board game. And then uh, before we could play it, he would have to read the rule book and get a firm grasp on all the rules. And then he would have to like walk us through the rule book uh, in order to explain all the rules. And I'm someone who's like, can't we just play it and figure it out as we go? Like, how hard could it be, right? You just roll the dice, you move your thing. Like, come on, man. But it, it, in my world, it just felt overly complicated. No, 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 no. No one can touch the game pieces <laughs> uh, uh, until we read the entire rule book and I explain every type of tiny little r rule. Um, recently, we... Uh, we did some renovations in our kitchen, and we kind of took a wall out and built this kitchen island, and I ordered some uh, kitchen cabinets from Ikea, and so Ikea is great because it's really cheap, but it's also incredibly frustrating because I think it's, it's complicated sometimes, and I, I can't tell you how long I was trying to put this thing in and following the picture in the front of the one drawer, and it, I was doing everything the picture said, but I actually had the drawer the, the face of the drawer upside down and I had tried it so many different ways and, and for me I'm like these pictures are too complicated like what is happening there's too many tiny little pieces sometimes I think right some things are complicated but sometimes I think the, the answer to something can be quite simple um, lots of you probably grew up with a, a somewhat complicated view of what it means to be a Christian I think sometimes we actually miss the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel that saves us. And we grew up in systems that um, <coughs> added rules or things that you must do. And we kind of have this very overcomplicated view of really a really simple gospel. It's Christianity became, well, you have to 
you got to look a certain way. You have to do certain things. You have to stop doing other things. You must attend uh, church every week. You must give a certain amount. You have to serve. It depends on how good you are. You have to listen to certain types of music. You can only watch certain types of things. You can only read certain types of things. It's like, you know, the, hey, you're a Christian now. Great. Here's all the, the list of rules that you must do now. And then sometimes we can just go like, whoa, this seems way overcomplicated. And we add things to the gospel that maybe aren't necessarily there. So I'll give you a, an example. Growing up, uh, I was really into skateboarding and skateboard culture, and I actually had both my my ears pierced. I know. Uh, what was I thinking? Uh, and I, my kids actually still make fun of you. We can see your earring holes. Are you a girl? And I'm like, please don't. That was when I was 16, Okay. But I remember doing that, and I got my ears pierced, and even at 16, 17, I mean, I loved Jesus, wanted to follow him, and I remember my dad was candidating at a church, um, and uh, uh, sometimes when you candidate, you send a picture of your f- uh, family so they know who the, the candidate's family is, and so they sent a, a family picture, and I had my ears pierced in it, and my dad is in these meetings with these church elders, and I, the, one of the questions, he ended up not taking the job at this church, and I'll tell you why in a second, but one of the questions from one of these uh, church leaders was, so looking at the picture of the family, so how long has your son been living in rebellion? And my dad was like, what do you mean? Oh, well, I mean, his ears are pierced. Clearly, he can't love Jesus. And my dad was like, that's your gauge for, for Christianity? For if you believe the gospel, it depends on what you wear on your body. And I mean, I know you all have examples like that, that too. The gospel can, can very, sim- or very quickly become overcomplicated. So this morning, um, Christmas morning, I would love to just remind us and walk through what is the simple gospel that we believe that saves us. Now, for some of you, this might feel like review, and that's fine, but I think we all need to be reminded of this beautiful, simple, upside-down gospel that we're actually celebrating on Christmas morning. So four words that I would say to help summarize the gospel message. Like if someone came up to you and said, hey, can you, what is the gospel? Um, four words have really helped me and we're gonna walk through them. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So starting with creation. The gospel actually begins with creation. Um, and the Bible uh, tells us, <coughs> excuse me, that God created everything. Right? Genesis 1 and 2 unpacks this for us. God created everything good. God looks at everything that he creates and he says, it's very good. And there was this wholeness and completeness to creation. And then God, the pinnacle of his creation was was human beings. He created the first human beings in his image. They're meant to be image bearers in his creation. And, And he tells them, I want you to go and I want you to have rule and dominion over everything that I've created. And so the human beings were placed in the garden and they were to kind of take care of everything. And they had this this harmonious relationship with God. There was no sin, there was no death, there was no sickness, no decay, no brokenness, no darkness. I mean, you're talking about like an ideal picture, it just sounds great. And God, we are told throughout the whole Bible, God created everything as a way to display his infinite glory. 
Um, Everything in the universe is meant to say there is a God. There is a God and he is glorious. Look at this God that created everything. Now, if we left it there, um, (coughs) it would be amazing. I wish that the Bible was like, and human beings dwelled with God in the Garden of Eden forever. Wouldn't that be great? But we know that that's not the end. And so the second word that helps us remember the gospel is the fall. Right? And I'm not talking um, pumpkin spice lattes, not the fall like that. I'm talking about the fall of mankind into sin. And so God had given the first human beings one command to follow. And it was a way for them to trust him as God. God says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And basically what God was saying was, Adam and Eve, let me be the one that defines good and evil for you. You don't need to eat from the tree to, to, to decide good and evil for yourselves. I'm the one who defines good and evil for you. Just trust me. And you probably know the story, but they disobeyed and they they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and really, the, the sin was them disobeying. It's not like the fruit had any magical properties or whatever. Um, the sin was that they didn't trust God. They believed a lie about God, and they disobeyed him. And so all of humanity was plunged into sin and wickedness and brokenness. And as you read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, I mean, over time, it's just, Sin spread more and more and more and more, and sin got worse and worse and worse, and humanity was almost trapped in this endless cycle of more and more and sin. Greater and greater and greater depths of depravity, but what, I mean, even by Genesis 6, it says that every intention, every thought human beings had was sin. Like, I mean, that, it paints a pretty bleak picture. I mean, there's a few passages, Psalm 14, verse 3, they've all turned aside, Together they've become corrupt. There is no, none who does good, not even one. Jeremiah 79 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Romans 8, 8, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I mean, it stinks, really. And, and this, is, um, this is the bad news of the gospel message. I mean, you look around our world and it doesn't take long to just see the effects of the fall. You see um, the effects of humanity's brokenness and sin and rebellion and wickedness and depravity. I mean, you look in your own life and your own heart and you probably see that. You look in your own family and you see it. You look in your community and you see it. You look at our country and you see it. You look at the world and you just see that humanity is stuck in this cycle of, of sin and brokenness and darkness And it's amazing to me that since the beginning, humanity has tried and tried and tried and tried to fix this problem on their own. And it's been like, well, maybe if we just write uh, the right number of laws, then we can all be good people and stop sinning. And then that doesn't work. And maybe if we just elect the right leaders and then they can just kind of from the top down enforce goodness and enforce morality and and that doesn't really work. Or maybe um, we can just kind of like tax our way out of it. I think Trudeau would, would like that. I'm just kidding. That's a cheap shot. But uh, maybe, we, maybe we can just like, you know, uh, governmentalize a, uh, and fix everything. And then that hasn't worked. Like nothing works, right? And we're told biblically that the consequence for sin 
is death. Naturally, physically, this makes sense. We all die physically because of sin, disease, sickness was brought about by the fall, but also there's a spiritual death that happens. Now, those who are stuck in sin and wickedness, I mean, Romans 8.8 says we can't please God in our flesh. We're spiritually dead now, and then one of the penalties because of our sin and rebellion is that it leads to spiritual death forever, separation from God for, for all eternity. So Merry Christmas. <laughs> But, but luckily, though, we aren't left with just the bad news. The gospel literally means good news. But I think in order for good news to be good, there has to be corresponding bad news. That's why we include the fall in with the gospel message. We have to hear the bad news first in order for the good news to be good. Um, I've used this example before, but let's say that um, tomorrow, Boxing Day, there was this huge announcement that was on every news outlet, and they said, listen, scientists have been working, and we've discovered the cure for cancer, all cancer. We've discovered it. Like, if you have, if you have cancer, we've discovered it's a pill that you take, boom, cancer's gone. Now, if I'm listening to that, you know, tomorrow morning on the news, I would go, yeah, that's great, but I don't have cancer right now. So it doesn't really affect me, right? But if you're in the hospital and you have cancer, hearing tomorrow morning on the news that there's a cure for cancer would be the best news possible. Why? Because you're living in the bad news, right? And so in order for good news to be good, there has to be bad news that it counters, that it invades. And so the third word to remember the gospel is redemption. And what that means essentially is that God himself has come and dealt with the problem of sin and evil. And this is what we're celebrating on Christmas morning. Jesus came, God in the flesh. God entered into humanity and lived a perfect sinless life. Jesus willingly went to the cross to die for our sins, to die the death that we deserved. And then on the cross, the wrath and judgment of God against our sin was put onto Jesus. Jesus died and he was buried and yet three days later, he rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death and his resurrection means he was vindicated from the grave. It was a way of God saying everything Jesus said and did was true. And the gospel is now whoever places their trust in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and they're adopted into God's family. I mean, Romans 3, Paul says in verse 23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Right, so we see the gospel is God created everything perfect and beautiful and whole, dwelling with humanity, sin fractured that, ruined everything, uh, brought about brokenness and evil and depravity and wickedness. Spiritually, human beings are dead, separated from God, and Jesus came to redeem us. And then lastly, the fourth word is restoration. 
And basically, it means God is reversing the effects of the fall. Um, Anthony Hokema says this. He's a theologian. He says, the total work of Christ is nothing less than to redeem this entire creation from the effects of sin. That purpose will not be accomplished until God has ushered in the new earth, until paradise lost has become paradise regained. We need a clear understanding of the doctrine of the new earth, therefore, in order to see God's redemptive program in cosmic dimensions. We need to realize that God will not be satisfied until the entire universe has been purged of all the results of man's fall. So God is going to restore not just you and I, but the entire universe. And so God is in the process of restoring us in the here and now, and we call this the process of sanctification. He's he's conforming us more and more to the image of Jesus, but ultimately God's going to restore the universe when Jesus returns. Um, Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Um, It's helpful when I think about God restoring the universe. um, One of the the channels that we have at home, we don't watch a a ton of new shows or anything like that, but we'll we'll watch HGTV because we're cutting edge and we're exciting. But we'll watch um, these house renovation shows, right, where uh, a couple will go and buy this old, run-down, garbage house, right? Things are falling apart, and the plumbing is outdated, and the electrical is all wrong, and part of the house fell down, and there was a flood and a fire and an earthquake. I'm just exaggerating. <laughs> but then the, the whole point of the show is, hey, what, look what this couple did in restoring this house. And you can ask my wife, my favorite... Um, episodes of these shows are the older and worse the house is at the beginning, the better, right? I literally am like, I want to see the house that is just about falling over because I want to see what this couple or this whoever it is, this team goes in and what they can do with it. And at the end, a lot of times you're like, that can't be the same house. Like it's insane, some of the work that they can do. And that's this process of of uh, restoration, right? They take something that is broken and dilapidated and it's just awful and what do they do? Through really hard work, they, they restore this house, sometimes back to, you know, its original glory, so to speak, and that's, that's what God's doing with the universe. That's what he does with us. I mean, that's the gospel message. Four words, creation, fall, Redemption and restoration. And being a Christian means I know these things, I agree with it, and I trust in it. Right? Being a a follower of Jesus means knowing who Jesus is. Reading the scriptures and saying, I know that Jesus lived, died, and was raised again. I know about his death on the cross. But it's not just knowledge. It's not just saying, yeah, I know facts about Jesus. Well, that doesn't get you anywhere. It's also agreeing and approving of that knowledge. It's reading about the facts, historical facts about who Jesus was and is and, and what he did and saying, not only do I know these facts, but I agree that they're true. They actually happen. Jesus is who he said he is and he did what he said he would do. But it's not just knowledge and approval, but it's the last step is then trust. It's saying, I trust in those things for salvation. Um, John 1, 12, 
Jesus says, but to all, or John says, but to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I mean, Paul sums up the gospel really well in Romans 10, 9. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So here's the key. Christianity is not about what you have to do to be saved. Right? The gospel is, this is what Christ has done to save you. And that might seem like semantics, but it's really important. Every other religion in the world, every other worldview, every other religion says, here's what you must do to be saved. Right? Whether it's Buddhism or uh, uh, Islam or Confucianism or Mormonism or Jehovah, whatever it is, there is always, here's your condition you're broken, you're bad, you're not a good person. Here are the things that you must do in order to earn your salvation. And Christianity says, actually, it's not about what you do to be saved. Christianity and the gospel is what Jesus has done to save you. There is a, a, a passive nature of the gospel where you go, I'm not working to earn my salvation. I am trusting what Jesus has done to earn my salvation. And this is what Christmas is actually all about. Uh, many of you this morning, you've woken up and you've had coffee, maybe cinnamon buns, you've opened presents, you've played games, you've read books, like whatever it is, all good things. But I would encourage you at some point today, if you haven't already, take a moment to remember that Christmas, what we're celebrating today, is the launch of this great rescue mission. Um, Christmas is God looking at the mess that you and I made, looking at humanity's sad state of brokenness, sin, wickedness, and depravity, and saying, I am going to come and rescue them. And on Christmas Day, right, as we read the nativity story and the birth of Jesus, we're remembering that all of our hope and redemption and forgiveness and restoration laid swaddled in a manger. So this Christmas, my prayer for you and for me is that we don't lose the simplicity about, uh, about the gospel, that we don't unnecessarily overcomplicate it that we know about who Jesus is and what he came to do, that we approve of the things that Jesus said and did, that we say, yes, I agree with that. And then we trust in those things, trust in him for the forgiveness of sins. And then we just rest that salvation can be ours. So let me pray for us, and then we'll just close our time together. And so, Jesus, I just thank you for the simple nature of the gospel. I thank you that Christianity stands alone uh, from every other religion. Really, there's only two religions in the world. One is, here's what you must do to, to be saved. And Christianity is, here's what Jesus has done to save you. And so, God, thank you that you have saved us. Thank you that... Jesus, uh, this time of year, we celebrate and remember that you came. 
You willingly came. You put on flesh. You entered into your creation to live among your people, to live a perfect sinless life, to willingly go to the cross, to be raised from the dead. Thank you, Jesus, that you save us. And so I pray that in the midst of really good celebration this, this week and today, in the midst of traditions and food and presents and family and all of these good things, I pray that there would be times of just quiet remembrance and reflection. Um, Jesus, that you came, that this was the greatest rescue mission ever launched and that that is what saves us. And so I just pray all of this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Well, that is the end of our uh, time together this morning. And so I am just... I'm hoping and praying that you have a great uh, holiday season, that you have a great rest of your Christmas day. Um, I'll invite you to come on uh, next Sunday, New Year's Day, uh, to our service. We're having one service at 11 a.m. here in the building, and there won't be any kids zone. We'll just have one big family gathering. It's going to be great, so hopefully you can join us. But God bless you. Have a great Christmas break, and uh, we'll see you later. God bless.